1: Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified
0: customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. ctmobile.com.
1: They come in different shapes and sizes and speeds. I think it comes
0: down to playmakers. I think we saw that in the Super Bowl. Guys that can make plays when their number is called. And, and that's what we look for. And you can see that on college tape. And then
1: I will say one of the benefits of the combine is you get to see some of the physical traits as well. What sets them apart?
0: Is it size? Is it length? Is it explosion? Is it speed? So we'll put all that together. But I would say that boils down just to being a playmaker.
1: (laughs) Hour number two here with you this Wednesday night edition. Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score, I'm Anthony Heron. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Big Ant Heron. And that was the voice of... Bears general manager Ryan Poles talking about the effects that a player, a playmaker like Tyreek Hill has sort of had on from his time in Kansas city has had on the the way that he views how you shape a roster. What a a player of that impact, that capability can mean to the playmaking ability of your offense at large and those around him. And we just saw Tyreek Hill on the move today. It really caught a lot of folks off guard. Just, kind of like this whole NFL offseason has <laughs> just continually caught people off guard with just news on top of news on top of news between the, the quarterback position and what's been going on there with the, the movement of Russell Wilson out to Denver with the return of Tom Brady with Aaron Rodgers staying put with Matt Ryan now on the move as well. And, you know, Baker Mayfield making news just for for not playing the game. You know, he's making news off the field with comments and everything else as he tends to do. And I will say this, I I do feel a little bit differently about Baker at this point in his career than, than where I did early on when he came into the league and certainly when from what I hear a lot of other folks saying for the time being. But specific to today's news with Tyreek Hill where the, the Dolphins are reportedly uh, giving Tyreek Hill a four-year deal worth $120 million. Uh, the initial three years of that is kind of the main focus of the deal for about $75 million reportedly. Um, so over $70 million of that is guaranteed. That's from his agent Drew Rosenhaus. And you, know, you, you get a, a player like that, a guy of that capability that we just heard Ryan Poles describing there then it it just it's the latest move for the Miami Dolphins in trying to be real players out there in the AFC and and trying to show that they do have the capability. And maybe even if it doesn't completely indicate that they believe in Tua, it does show that they are they're legitimately trying to accomplish something major. they they're trying to give Mike McDaniel the opportunity to bring his offensive system in and, and make some big things happen. And maybe they do completely believe in Tua. Or maybe they just think that you know what, regardless of the quarterback, I got a system now and all these playmakers who can make something happen as well. But when you think about everything that's happened around this off season, and then you juxtapose that with where the Bears sit at the moment, I, I, I kind of, I, I do, I understand the, the urge, the desire that's there for folks to see the Bears make some big move, and you know, really, the biggest move was going to be. Larry Ogonjobe, where you at least get a high dollar three technique to come in here. And he's, you know, it's not like they were signing Aaron Donald or whatever. You're like, you got rid of Khalil Mack, you're bringing in Larry Okunjobi. It's certainly just an overall talent of the defensive front. It was going to be a downgrade. And like I was referencing a moment ago with Kenneth Davis, the more of the news for the Bears transaction-wise has been about who they've let go, far more so than who they've brought in. But you know going into the first year with a new regime and a team that that was going to need to free up some cap space cuz it's one thing to be in the cap position the bears were going to find themselves in where they were you know kind of they were going to be middle of the road in cap space in football and yes there's a lot of finagling that can happen with the salary cap to to make that number go up or down to make your rankings in the NFL and cap space go up and down just depending on how you're willing to shift things around but That being said, the Bears have a new general manager in his first year, new head coach in his first year, a a first-round pick quarterback in the second year of his NFL career. And so they're not taking the the approach of saying that we 100% think that this coming season can lend big returns for us. But I'll I'll be very surprised if they don't expend additional capital in surrounding Justin Fields with more – playmakers to, to try and give him the best opportunity for success. Not just stability. All right, you, you sign a fullback. That's cool. I like seeing a you know, as much as I was the the main, perhaps the only, I don't know. Maybe I was the only proponent of JP Holtz in this town for his entire Bears career. JP Holtz was never a real fullback. But my big case I always made with JP Holtz was the fact that at least when they lined him up at fullback, and had that threat in the backfield and put a lead blocker back there, the run game did function at a higher level. So, you know, you got Lucas, Lucas Patrick, and now you get Dakota Dozier in there. The Bears say they got their bulldozer. And then you got you know, Kari Blazing game, who they bring in as well. And so, you know, I, you at least have now an, an approach and some individuals who, who have been around quality run games and no surprise at all having a defensive-minded head coach and a young quarterback, that that is adjusting to the approach the Bears will be looking to take as well. And so maybe we'll see kind of a a souped-up Titans, you know, Ryan Tannehill-ish approach from Justin Fields here or a, a souped-up Baker Mayfield, Cleveland Browns kind of, kind of vibe that we're getting over at Soldier Field. And if that's the case, I'm good with that. Now, you do need an excellent defense to be associated with that as well. So here's what I'll say about the Bears and this upcoming draft because you let you traded away Khalil Mack, got rid of Eddie Goldman, you let Bilal Nichols walk, you know, let James Daniels walk off the offensive line as well. No Tariq Cohen, no Jakim Grant, but you have three of your best players within your defensive front who are gone. Akeem Hicks who hasn't signed with anyone yet, but we can all presume Akeem Hicks won't be back either. So virtually, you're only returning starter is going to be Robert Quinn. That's great and all. I mean, one of the best pass rushers in football, but Matty Buffu's defenses, they tend to stop the run and they tend to take the ball away. Robert Quinn, as your only returning defensive lineman, you know, not that the Bears' run defense had been stellar the last couple of seasons or dominant the last couple of seasons anyway, but it's a lot of health issues going with that and everything else. But that being said, it won't surprise me one bit if we see the Bears in this coming draft maybe because it's the the draft is seen as deeper in edge rusher but there are some some quality interior defensive linemen as well i wouldn't necessarily assume that both of those second round picks would end up being used on a receiver on a skill position guy on a playmaker obviously it all depends on how the draft board falls and you still got some time for the bears to end up figuring that out but now that they don't have larry ogonjobi and they don't have you know, a, a three technique, what we've been describing as the cornerstone of this defensive style here, I think there's a decent chance that the draft, draft board falls a certain way that maybe the Bears use one of those second-round picks on a three technique. If there's not someone who sort of, you know, if free agency and other transactions don't fall their way where they feel like they can get some sort of a playmaking three technique from elsewhere, then maybe that's something you see early in the Bears' draft and one of those second round picks or maybe that third round pick, I'll be surprised if, if the bears don't have a three technique via free agency, via offseason veteran transactions, like they tried to get before they rightfully canceled the deal and, and didn't end up signing Larry Ogunjobi because he failed the physical. And you know what? They had to call that off. So now they got to adjust. Now they got to finagle things a little bit. I won't be surprised one bit. If we see the bears actually use one of their early picks, then not only on expending all that, that early draft capital on receivers and playmakers, maybe a tight end, I think there's a decent chance now if you don't see them go elsewhere for a three technique from a veteran perspective that the Bears end up doing what they can to try and use that on, on maybe trying to get a three technique in these doors as well. For the the broader happenings that have, that have taken place around football, where the Buffalo Bills, you know, they, they bring in Von Miller and they're they're certainly trying to do what they can to, to seem as all in as possible. Baltimore Ravens haven't signed Lamar Jackson to a long-term deal yet, but he's seeing all this money floating around there for some of these other quarterbacks. Another extension for Matthew Stafford. First extension in L.A., but certainly had his other extensions during his uh, 12 years in Detroit. He's seeing the Matthew Stafford money. He's seeing the Russell Wilson money. He's seeing the Aaron Rodgers money. There's a lot of guys who've been getting paid at quarterback, and Lamar Jackson is seeing those deals, feeling like he he at least should be in the running for that type of money in Baltimore as well, being a, a league MVP of, of recent vintage here. I think Russell Wilson going to Denver is one that intrigues me quite a bit because the Broncos have been a squad that for for a number of years here have kind of painted themselves as, as just being a quarterback away and have consistently found ways to just sort of maneuver their roster in a manner that makes it competitive, despite mediocre QB play. And now that they do have a guy at that spot, but it just happens to be where now that guy they brought in is in what might be the deepest division in football. Certainly the deepest division in football at quarterback, I mean, it feels at least that way from that perspective. But you know, once you once you get beyond Denver, you've obviously still got to contend with the Chargers, who're waiting to make the playoffs with Justin Herbert for the first time. Of course, the Chiefs are going to be right there in the mix, year in and year out. But on the whole, I do think Denver is a team that's more than a threat. I think Denver is a team that's showing themselves as like a, a viable. Not a front runner because they're in the same division with the Chiefs, but I, I think Denver and bringing in Russell Wilson and being ag- aggressive about it in the way that they did, making that happen, still plenty of playmakers remain there with the Broncos. Where I see them in that ultra deep division, I see them as the number two squad behind, for the moment, behind Kansas City. Now we'll see, man. Maybe I need to, you know, reimagine that a little bit with this Tyreek Hill transaction and Mahomes not being able to throw it to him, but he still got Travis Kelsey and he's still Patrick Mahomes. So right now, as I'm sitting here talking about it, I still see the Chiefs as the best uh, best AFC West team, but I'm not going to count out the Denver Broncos from potentially nipping at their heels a little bit as this thing moves forward too. But there's a lot of teams out there trying to do big things. The Patriots pretty much stood pat. They spent all their money last offseason. They had more money to spend, but they spent a bunch of it last offseason. They got Mac Jones on his rookie deal, of course. So I see the Patriots standing pat, the Bears standing pat, and there's going to be money to spend, especially here in Chicago for next off season. So NFL off season, as good as any. And there, there's not many uh, in, in the sports world who have ever seen anything like what we're seeing in the national football league. And there's no reason to think it's done at this point. You know, the Baker Mayfield thing is is still going to have some legs here on how that ends up maneuvering going forward. So, We'll watch it closely. Uh, I know all of you will also, and I. I would just. I would say I'm cool with the Bears exercising patience for the moment because we know there's money to spend for next off season, and there's a lot of roster spots that still need to be filled out for this coming season too. So you know, don't assume that they're just done signing players. They got to put bodies on the field. they they've got about half the roster signed right now, so there's gonna be a lot of guys coming in. I don't anticipate a lot of them being huge names, but. I do think they they understand that there's a couple of additional playmakers that need to be there for them, and especially for their young quarterback in Justin Fields. We'll see what that ends up leading to. But I do want to transition to some Bulls discussion after what we saw last night. I was talking about frustration that some folks have with the Bears offseason and some patience there. Man, the Bulls are acting like they got all kind of time to be patient with what they did on the court last night against the defending NBA champions. I don't know why they feel like that, man. This is the playoff chase, and they are losing ground. We're going to have Bulls discussion after I get through this break. We're going to do that next here on The Score.
0: This is Sports Radio 670, The Score, Chicago's sports station. So the Bucks bounce back after losing
1: to Minnesota, and Milwaukee will win for the 45th time this year. I.O. walking over the Bucks logo and left forecourt. Disappointing many fans, Bulls fans here in Milwaukee in front of a sellout of 21,778. That's how it ended last night here on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score, that was the voice of Chuck Swirsky. He and Bill Wennington on the call as the Bulls went over to Milwaukee got absolutely trounced by the Bucks, 126 to 98 defending NBA champions and all that that's good and everything man so it's one thing to lose to them it's one thing to drop to 0 and 16 but these games are they're getting out of hand they're not looking like they belong on the court with some of the best teams in the league after being a team who led the Eastern Conference for the bulk you know at least for a good chunk of the regular season they're going in the wrong direction Got some things to figure out over there at the United Center, So let's go out to the Circle Resort and Casino in Las Vegas. Hotline, home of the world's largest sports book. Talk to Matt Peck of CHGO Chicago, CHGO Sports. You can find him on Twitter at Bulls underscore Peck. Matt, I, I don't know, Matt. I'm not sure exactly how to, how to even begin to figure out <laughs> what the Bulls got going on, man. I mean, 0-16 is no bueno.
0: It's not, Anthony. Uh, thanks for having me, man. hope you're doing well. Uh, I think Bulls fans have just gotten a fat dose of reality since the All-Star break. They benefited from a lot of uh, solid hands that they were dealt out of the gate. They had a very fa- favorable schedule to start the season uh, and started the season fairly healthy outside of that early injury to Patrick Williams and they had they were benefiting from Demar DeRozan having an otherworldly season breaking records that hadn't been broken since Wilt the Stilt Chamberlain uh th- that ridiculous month of february he had the most uh you know high efficiency shooting for a mid-range shooter that the NBA has really ever seen and then you get the injuries to key guys like Caruso and Lonzo which hurt your defense You miss Lonzo's absence of the volume of three-point shooting. The Bulls have really struggled with that all season long. And then after the All-Star break, that schedule just got brutal. So I think what Bulls fans have found out over the last month or so is that progress has been made, and they are still going to be a playoff team. Hopefully they can still avoid that play-in situation. They're still in okay shape to do just that. But this is not a team that uh, that deserved to be at the top of the Eastern Conference for the first two-thirds or so of the NBA season because you brought it up, 0-16 against the best of the best. But the Bulls have gone from being a team that couldn't even beat mediocre teams and trash teams last season and several prior to a team that's beating the mediocre teams and bad teams now and still hasn't figured out how to beat the elite. I mean, it's progress. It's just maybe not as much progress as Bulls fans wanted.
1: What I don't get, Matt, is Miami's lost 25 games. Milwaukee and Philly have both lost 27 games. The, the Suns have lost 14 games. I mean, you know, is it asking too much to get a win against the, the top three teams from, from either of these conferences? Like what, what, as far as you can tell is going so wrong against the best of the best. I mean, other people are beating them on occasion.
0: Yeah, I mean, that that stat is crazy. At this point, 0-16 against the top three in each conference, I I can't explain that. I don't think anybody can explain that. Even on a random night, you get lucky. Your opponent has an off night, you have a good night, and things fall your way. The fact that that stat has still stood and we only have 10 regular season games to go is astounding. But, I, I mean, I don't have an answer for you other than the fact that the Bulls have serious holes On their defense, they have been there all season long, especially in these extended absences of key guys, their point-of-attack defenders. And when teams adjusted and started paying way more attention to DeMar DeRozan after he went off, he's been seeing a lot more double teams. He's been seeing a lot more traps. And, And even when he does his job and passes out of those double teams, nobody around him has been able to make a shot. The Bulls bench production has been awful. The Bulls bench got worked by the Bucks last night. And the other key thing to me is that how quickly we forgot what all-star Zach Levine looked like at the beginning of this season and the version of Zach we're getting now, where he's labeled with a questionable tag before tip off every other game. It seems like every night when he is active, he's saving himself for one good quarter. That's kind of what we saw in the third quarter against the Raptors when they were able to win that game on Monday. But when DeMar does not have Zach to, uh, there to be able to say, all right, I'm seeing a lot of doubles, Zach, it's your turn. Be the Robin to my Batman. When Zach's not playing at 100% and, and the supporting cast of Bulls are not able to hit shots, Kobe White has gone cold. Io DeSumo has gone cold. Caruso's still rock, knocking off Rust, and he's admitted to still not even being 100% himself after that wrist injury. It, it's compounding issues on compounding issues, and, and it's unfortunately where the Bulls are right now.
1: You loved him on the Lockdown Bulls podcast. You watch him and listen to him now on CHGO Sports. He is Matt Peck with me here on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score, you can find him on Twitter at Bulls underscore Peck. And you were talking about the, the defense a moment ago, and I mean, you know, Milwaukee is Milwaukee. Some of these best teams are going to find a way to score the bucket, especially with the elite talent, you know, Embiid, Giannis, and the like. But, it does seem to me that the Bulls, after they get to a certain point in the game where where it does feel like they they're just overmatched, I didn't like last night. I didn't see the fight in them that seemed like was there earlier in the year. Just sort of this dogged and, and ravenous effort that felt like was there in earlier stretches. Of the season, Do, are you interpreting that just sort of the the intangible, the the sort of dogged demeanor that was there? Do you feel like you're still seeing that, and they're just being outplayed, or is there something intangible that's maybe a notch less than it was earlier?
0: Oh, I'm absolutely. I mean, I, I think it's a combination of execution and effort, um, and. You know, one of the ones that was egregious last night, towards the end of the game, middle of the uh, middle of the fourth quarter, when the game was pretty much already decided, is Caruso was d n up Grayson Allen uh, and actually knocked the ball out of Allen's control. But then Grayson regained possession of the ball in the backcourt, and-, and Alex was behind the play after going for the steal and tried to call Demar Derozan onto a switch to take ball pressure, and De- Derozan either didn't see it or ignored it. <laughs> Uh, and, and decided to not try whatever it was and Grayson Allen got a free lane uh free pass down the lane for a layup went untouched and anybody that caught our uh, CHGO Bulls post game last night saw just how much that pissed me off <laughs> uh, look I can I can accept failure I can't accept not trying and I think what was frustrating in that game last night when things started to go wayward late in the first quarter, I mean, credit to the Bulls. They've gotten out to sluggish starts, especially on the road a lot this season. They fought the Bucks in their building to a 20-20 tie with three and a half to go in the first quarter. Then Billy Donovan went to his bench. The Bulls got decent looks that just rimmed out on the offensive end. But then they, dug, they do what they've done all season, which is they let failure on the offensive end dictate their focus and their energy on the defensive end. And they were getting beat down the floor in transition. They weren't communicating. They weren't getting their switches, right? Guys weren't fighting through and over screens. And all of a sudden it's a 13 and nothing bucks run. And the bulls find themselves in this big hole. And, And they really don't have the level of talent right now to dig themselves out of those holes. That's, that's the problem to me defensively right now. It is part execution. Alex Caruso spoke to that after last night's loss, but a lot of it is just in the try. And you just saw it on Monday night against Toronto. The Bulls had 29 points off of Raptors' turnovers on Monday night. The effort and intensity were there on defense. And, yeah, it's the second night of a back-to-back against the defending champs, but to, to give up on the effort part of defense before the first quarter's even over, it's unacceptable.
1: Yeah, man, that was the thing that kind of irked me looking at last night's game and, frankly, a, a number of games here as of late. Just, yeah, I, I posed the question last week, just kind of like, who do the Bulls think they are at this point? Where they were at the top of the Eastern Conference for a bulk of the season. That's cool and all, but they got there because they were scrappy and gritty. And, yes, like you referenced, DeMar was taking games over and being the king of the fourth and everything like that but there was so much effort and intensity to their approach that now that DeMar and, and the focus on the from the opponent has ramped up on DeMar, and so maybe the offense takes a little bit of a step back, but it's just it I, I don't get how they don't recognize who they need to be effort-wise to really compete not only just to, against the Milwaukees and Phillies of the world but against kind of the rest of the NBA as well. Continuing my discussion here with Matt Peck, of chgo chicago well from a, a health perspective right now seems like they, they can't count on lonzo ball returning anytime soon you know if, if they're lucky maybe there could be some spot duty in the playoffs is what it seems like is the the best if any case scenario right now so as it sits this roster is what it is do you think there's are there individual pieces like patrick williams has only been back for a couple of games are you seeing anything within his game that makes you feel like you know what the roster as it currently sits can at least have them in position to, to compete with someone you know, for a playoff series win?
0: Yeah, I don't get me wrong. I, I have faith that the Bulls can still give somebody a good fight in a first-round playoff series, and it looks like they won't have home court for that series anymore. That's kind of gone bye-bye. But if they play to the height of their capability, I think they can give any of these teams in the East a fight, with maybe the exception of Philly. I want nothing to do with Philly in a first-round series. But – it is just about the fact that this Bulls team, as currently constructed, has definitely improved from last season and seasons prior, but they don't have a large margin of error uh, when it comes to how well they need to play to really fight you know, with the big dogs. And they, they were punching above their weight class a lot earlier this season. Um, so, yeah, they, they, can, they can have themselves a nice fight in a first-round series, but they need to bring it. Effort-wise, on the defensive end, every night, they need to find some creative ways to get through these sluggish stretches of offense when DeMar is seeing doubles and traps and nobody else has been able to make a shot. As far as you know, your, your question on Patrick Williams, I've been encouraged. It's only been a couple of games, but the thing I like most is that he has not hesitated. When he sees an open look, whether it's a catch and shoot corner three, or he sees a little bit of space to have a couple of dribbles and then pull up from mid range, he hasn't been super efficient with his shots so far in this handful of games. But he looks like one of the most confident guys out there launching shots right now. You know, I mentioned the fact that Io and Kobe have both gone ice cold recently, and that certainly hasn't helped matters. But you know, is Patrick Williams going to be this team's savior to win a playoff series? No, that's not really realistic uh, from where I'm sitting. But He had some very interesting remarks when he came back about seeing what has been going on while he's been out and rehabbing and that, you know, DeMar needing help and and that sometimes it's Zach's night and sometimes it's Vooch's night. But whoever it is among those Bulls big three, somebody else on the floor has to be able to step up and make a shot or even make a play, you know, make a smart pass, make a read, do something. Uh, and, And there's a lot of stagnation on the Bulls offense right now that I don't think Patrick Williams can individually save they they all need to really look themselves in the mirror and see if they want to make a fight of whatever their, their first-round matchup is because what we've seen since the All-Star break is not encouraging.
1: For Zach Levine, and we, you know, we've all kind of every game, like you were referencing, we're wondering what the injury situation is going to be with the knee and like he and Billy Donovan and, and others have talked about. It's just something that he's going to have to deal with the rest of the regular season and however long. The postseason ends up lasting. I've got a lot of respect for for his willingness to kind of play through this in a really important stretch of his career right here. From a contract perspective, a longevity perspective, I'm just wondering from what we've seen of Zach Levine so far. Do do you feel like that you know he set himself up as a guy who who will be? A, a max player regardless of this or do you feel like there's there's still some risk that that's involved in him taking this approach of kind of playing through this knee injury
0: well let's uh let's make one thing perfectly clear i am worried about zach Levine every minute of every day right now but that's just who i am i'm a warrior when it comes to my bulls basketball and i've been wondering whether or not he should be playing through this but what we've heard initially from the Bulls team doctors and then right before the all-star break, if you recall, when he flew out to the West coast and went to go see his doctor that worked with him when he initially tore that ACL earlier in his career in Minnesota, we got the same report back from everybody. The knee he's, he's playing through some, some swelling, some occasional soreness, some occasional stiffness. And it's just about Zach's pain tolerance. We've heard that there is no risk of serious re-injury that he's been cleared to play And that, as you mentioned, to Zach's credit and and respect to him, he wants to play through this because this is the first winning season he's had in his NBA career. Mm. And it's not just about the fact that he knows he's got a big contract coming around the corner this summer, but more so that he wants to win. He wants to compete on a winning team. Should he be playing? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Credit to him for toughing this out. When it comes to the question about his contract, I have no doubt in my mind that the Bulls will offer him – that contract this summer hopefully the arrival of DeMar DeRozan the fact that they have Lonzo and Caruso they went out this offseason and said Zach instead of paying you right now what what about we go out and spend money on getting you some help and Zach said okay and that's what's happened this season and for the first time in his career he will have a winning regular season record the Bulls are 42 wins mission accomplished on that front the, I know that there are some Bulls fans worried about that giant number for Zach Levine and whether or not he's worth it. Let's get one thing straight: he's not getting the Supermax—that that phrase that people are throwing around—because flirting with making a, a third-team All NBA selection when we were seeing All-Star Zach Levine the front end of this season, that's not happening. With the games he's missed and the production falling off since the All-Star break, Zach's not making an All NBA team. So Supermax is out the window. Not a worry. The match that they will offer him is what all-star caliber players the NBA make these days. It's what they deserve these days. And let's also remember that over the last four seasons of this current contract, Zach's been one of the most grossly underpaid players across <laughs> the entire NBA. A two-time all-star making less than $20 million annually? Other than rookie-scale deal guys who are all-stars on their rookie contracts, that's unheard of. That doesn't happen. Zach deserves the money. He'll get the money. I'm not worried about that.
1: Right. Other than like the John Morantz of the world, then pretty much everybody is is making over twenty mil once you hit a certain status in the league. That Zach Levine has certainly earned his rights to be able to get to to that financial scale for as much money as lucrative as the, as the NBA has become here. Last thing before I let you run, Matt, I'm just curious how you how you view the bull season, or do you, do you feel like it's an unanswered question right now? Then whether or not, as you contextualize this bull season, is it is it already? A success have they already achieved something just based off that improvement that you were talking about earlier or will it still kind of depend on whether or not they can do something that looks much better in the postseason than what we've seen against the best teams in the nba during the regular season
0: yeah that's the million dollar question that bulls fans all have very differing opinions on right now over the last few weeks as they have slid in the standings here's where i sit Coming into this season, assuming a mostly fully healthy season and knowing you'll always get a couple of missed games here and there from somebody, I saw with the Bulls across a very deep and talented Eastern Conference, if the Bulls managed to get the fourth seed and home court in the first round, I would have been ecstatic. I expected them to get fifth or sixth. That was my goal for them. That was my expectation. Avoid the play-in secure yourself a legitimate playoff seed, probably at the five or six spot. If you can get home court in the first round, incredible. Those were my expectations that I set for myself as a Bulls fan as the season started. And then they wildly outperformed those expectations for the first half, two-thirds of a season, and a lot of Bulls fans' expectations shifted, and they shifted pretty darn quick to the point where now we have people interacting with us at CHGO Bulls pre post saying this season's a failure. Here we go, sliding into the plan. This season's a failure. We got to hear from AK. This is inexcusable. And I'm saying, where's the perspective, y'all? Do you forget where we were just one short year ago? Two short years ago? I mean, my goodness, the pyramids weren't built in a day, people. Like, people point to, to the suns to say, well, look, they turned it around in such a short time. If people recall, they went to the bubble. And the, one of the biggest stories is that the Suns unexpectedly went 8 and 0 in the bubble despite being a team that was there for a very short period and then they went out and added a Hall of Fame point guard in Chris Paul. So they are the exception to the rule of it takes time to build a winner in the NBA unless LeBron James jumps to your team anytime between 2010 <laughs> and 2018. It's going to take time. So if the Bulls still manage to avoid that play in, secure at least the sixth seed, and put up a decent fight in their first round playoff series, regardless of who their opponent is, yes, I will call this season a success. We want more. Bulls fans of a certain age, I grew up on championships in the 90s. We want championships. We want to go back there. It's been 24 years, and that's crazy. But to call this season a failure just because they held the one seed unexpectedly for a while before falling back to earth and being the team that they were in actuality the whole time. No, I'm not calling that a failure. We've been through too many dark times to not enjoy this season.
1: So it sounds like then, if nothing else, Bulls fans can hope hope out kind of hold out for hope that maybe the Bulls will draft Bronny James and then LeBron comes here in a few years, something like that.
0: Oh Anthony, do not get me started. We we had a nice conversation, and then you just had to go throw that ridiculous wild card in right at the end. You had to.
1: Oh, three years from now. Three-ish, I think. I don't know exactly how old Brownie is. But, you know, we'll see, man. Anything can happen between now and then. Outstanding stuff, man. really appreciate you joining me tonight, man.
0: Anytime, Anthony. Appreciate it.
1: All right, that is Matt Peck of CHGO Chicago. You can find him on Twitter at Bulls underscore Peck. Well, I was talking a lot about uh, what's been going on on the south side with the White Sox and Lucas Giolito. Northsiders got a little, little, uh, little business to sort out as well with one of their great players, with their catcher, Wilson Cone Trerez. But also, NCAA Tournament is coming to Chicago as well. A couple of things I want to try to squeeze in here before I'm done with you at 9 o'clock before you're done with me. Anthony Heron here on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score.
0: This is Sports Radio 670 The Score, Chicago's sports station. It was a really short time to negotiate. We couldn't get into agreement, but like I said, I'm happy to be here. I'm looking forward to play baseball, and that's that's one thing that I can control.
1: You know that voice. Wilson Cone Trarez. He seems, uh, I guess at at peace with the notion that for whatever reason, the Cubs haven't signed him to a a long-term deal yet. Haven't gotten an extension figured out uh, with Wilson Contreras still viewed at age 29, one of the best catchers in baseball. And now you have the designated hitter available in both leagues. And so, you know, for his longevity in the national league, just like, uh, you know, Kyle Schwarber, the concern was there for a long time, whether or not he could be a long-term viable outfielder. And he, really truly turned himself into that throughout his career. Contreras, you know, he was a guy initially, all right, is he a defensive liability as a catcher? Can he work the staff well enough? And he certainly turned the corner on those regards. But you wonder, if he doesn't have to spend so much time behind the plate, how much better can he be as a hitter? I mean, the, you know, we see it in flashes, that, that power, that pop multi-home run games and driving the ball all over the place and some of the command and control behind the plate. How much better would that be if he just had the additional energy available to him for being a DH as opposed to having to squat behind the mound um, or squat behind the behind home plate for all those games on an, on an annual basis? Um, I'm certainly curious about that. I wonder how curious the Cubs are about that as well. But for the moment, what he's asking for, what the Cubs are offering, are, are still – well over a million dollars apart as it heads into this season. And there was a stretch of time where it seemed like Wilson Contreras was, was one of the key potential figures of the you know the possibility that the Cubs could continue on as a as a long term winner, a long time winner. Now I think even as as Chris Bryant kind of ebbed and flowed in his actual productivity, not just the talents, but Obviously, as we know, there were several seasons where Chris Bryant just wasn't anywhere near that MVP level that he had established early in his career. Seemed to me like, you know what, maybe Javi Baez, Wilson Contreras, maybe these are guys that the Cubs are more likely to try and build their futures around as opposed to a Chris Bryant, who because of those those early career exploits and the numbers he put up then, maybe trying to set himself up for some kind of quarter billion dollar deal. And if that wasn't going to be there for KB, then he might have been gone anyway. And Of course, as we know now, he is gone. But so is Javi Baez. And now kind of the, the last man standing you know, who's not Kyle Hendricks, who's not a pitcher, is Wilson Contreras. And I, I think that you know, for the Cubs and trying to figure that out with him and moving forward to, to just see whether or not he's going to continue to be a part of this future, he's in a different position right now than what Lucas Giolito is, where the Cubs – that they're reshaping their franchise. They're right now trying to plan for that next iteration of Cubs greatness, and they've got a guy who can be viewed as a, a 29-year-old commodity that they'll have the potential to move. And you would assume, if someone's moving to bring Wilson Contreras in, then you know that that would give them the possibility and perhaps the plausibility where they're going to be willing to pay him, perhaps get a get a big contract else, elsewhere if it's not going to come on the north side of the city. Here in Chicago, but let's hear directly from Contreras himself, just specifically on the, you know, just being unable to settle the contract, but still being happy with being here in camp.
0: The first year that I heard about the trade rumors was 2019, that was the first year that I really felt like uh, like uh, it was super distracting for me, but then I learned from that 2020 was the same, 2021 was the same, so right now I'm, I'm really good with it. When you hear like trade rumors because you're doing something good on the field that another team might want, and uh, I understand that the Chicago Cubs are unrevealed right now, If and uh, if they can get good, like, like I said, good packages they're going to do whatever they do best for the team so anyways, uh, whatever happens, happens uh, we, we, uh,
1: yeah, whatever happens happens, that's it I mean that, it sounds like the proper perspective and he's been a player who for multiple seasons at this point has been a part of trade rumors over and over again because of the position he plays the value of that spot what he's meant to the Cubs, what that potential has been, his ability to throw out runners and everything else so We'll see. It doesn't seem like that's gonna change anytime soon because apparently they are not very close in any long term contract talks and the potential for that. I think for you know the Cubs it's probably gonna be as much as anything for Jed Hoyer just about whether or not they feel like they can get the type of value in return for a player of his capabilities who's still in his twenties, but you know, right there peeking in at the age of thirty. As well. The Cubs in a very different position right now with their quote unquote window being passed, trying to open that next window and Contreras potentially being a part of making that happen with someone else. We shall see. it has been a good night. I'm going to be back on the score tomorrow. I'm going to be sitting in for Lawrence Holmes from noon to two, so you can check me out then. You can hear me all the time on Big Ten Radio and Sirius XM as well. It's been a good time, though, as it always is, for a couple hours here with you this evening. My thanks to the guests who joined me on the show tonight, Kenneth Davis and Matt Peck, talking to bears, talking to bulls, talking everything under the sun. My thanks to Brian Callahan for running the ones and twos for me. And as always, appreciations and salutations to all of you listening in to Chicago Sports Radio 670 the Score.